Welcome to Real Indigenous, where these Indigenous peeps get real about what's on the screen and a few ventures IRL. This week, we're continuing our discussion with the phenomenally badass series, Reservation Dogs. With me, bringing the thoughts, feelings, and critical mind is... Angela Starts. And also... Candace Bird. All right, Groovy. Now let's get started. We would like to remind our listeners that this topic that we are discussing today is very serious and heavy and uh, and heavy in nature so please take care of yourselves as we will be discussing some serious and potentially triggering matters that are brought up in this episode of reservation dogs if you uh would need if you would like to talk to someone there's a phone number available if you are someone you know is struggling or in crisis help is available call the national suicide prevention lifeline 1-800-273-8255. Again, that's 1-800-273-8255. Take action for yourself and be there for others. We're going to be talking about Reservation Dogs, Episode 7, California Dreaming. And in IMDb, they describe the show as Laura Dannon takes her driver's test. So there's a whole lot more than that that happens in this episode. So we'll kind of break it down and kind of discuss more uh, of the heavier parts of the story. This one episode was written by and directed by Tazbus Chavez. And as I understand, this is one of the few episodes where Sterling didn't have a credit as writer or director. Is, is, did he have any others where he wasn't? Do you guys know? Not off the top of my head. No. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, we have our staff writers, our, our usual suspects, Sydney Freeland, Tommy Pico and Bobby Wilson. And our cast were, of course, Deborah Jacobs. Is that her name? Jacobs, really? Yeah. Okay, shoot. She might be really. What do you think it was? <laughs> I never thought of it. They just called me our last name Jacobs. I was like, she might be my relative. Debra yeah, you might be cousins. <laughs> you got some Mohawk in you? <laughs> I don't know, Shone. So, so as a, a lower than in post up. And I always get to, I'm always worried I get this name wrong because I have not heard it uh, said out loud. The Pharaoh Wuna Tai as Bear Small Hill, Lane Factor as Cheese, Paulina Alexis as Willie Jack. We get the special guest of Bill Burr as Coach Bobson. And we finally actually get a, an episode where, where we kind of get more of uh, Dalton Kramer as Daniel. I guess we'll kind of just kind of start with like the initial thoughts and kind of just go through the discussion, just kind of talk about, you know, what we felt about this episode and our thoughts and whoever wants to take first, raise your hand. All right, Angela, go for it. There's a lot going on in this episode. A lot of flashbacks, a lot of, a lot more exposition on Devery's character. We get to see a little bit more, you know, we saw in the last episode kind of Daniel's experiences with his mental illness. And I think that that's kind of brought to home, brought home on this one. Candace? Well, I cried. Like, this is my, my second time watching the episode. And I remember I, I cried the first time in this one. It was just like heartbreaking. And um, yeah, it brings to... You know, I've, I'm not... I don't, I don't have personal experience, actually, with losing any community members that I know of or friends or family to suicide personally. But actually, I kind of resonated a little bit more with, uh, I think it's Bill Burr's character, the coach, who lost friends to, you know, like drunk driving. That um, That's more of what I hear of in this area, is more like accidents that happen that way. But I do know, we, we all know that, that it's, and I've 
heard it ever since I was a youth that it is a that that's one of the hidden pandemics of Indian country is that our youth youth suicide. I'm a you know I'm I think that it could be a how do I put this like I, I don't want to say it's a good thing that it was brought up but I'm saying it was it's one of those aspects of our community you know that I'm glad that they I'm glad they put the disclaimer at the beginning and I'm glad that they put you know like resources uh, at the beginning of the episode so. Actually, when the, the when the beginning first thought, I didn't think that the episode was leading to Daniel's suicide. I actually thought it was going to lead somewhere completely else. Like when I first saw that, um, and of course, if I had if I had been logically following that we are learning more and more about Daniel, I probably would have guessed more about what was going to happen in this episode. But the minute I saw Devery Jacobs, actually, you know, a white coach a driver's ed teacher and I see a viewer discretion at the beginning, my thought was actually um, uh, assault. I was worried for assault. That's where I thought the storyline was going. I was uh, very, I was pleasantly surprised at Bill Burr's character that there, here we have actually a, a positive teacher experience, as positive as, you know, a teacher shooting a tweaker can be <laughs> during your driver's test. I almost wondered if there was a red herring moment just because of, uh, I don't know. That's my, my instant thought was like the, and her reaction to the coach, actually, I thought, I thought this is a, this is a woman who isn't maybe comfortable with being alone with this man in her car. You know, my instant thought was like, oh my gosh, I'm about ready to watch a native woman being assaulted. For me, I think that's the thing that's unclear about this series is the age range of our characters. Cause I assumed at first that they were all high school students, but we only see uh bear right at, in school ever throughout the show. And so after this episode, I, I assumed Laura Dannon was out of high school. At the beginning, you know, when I, we were talking about, let's call them kids, because I assumed they were kids, but now they may be adults. <laughs> only one's a kid. <laughs> so I just assumed it was high school. Oh, go ahead. Does that mean that she dropped out of school? She said school wasn't for her. It's a possibility. Well, maybe we'll learn more in season two. Yeah. So for right now, yeah, I, I'll still have the assumption they're, they're all high school age kids. Mm-hmm. It would explain too why like she's not in school actually on that day. Like maybe she just dropped out of school like in and around that time because Daniel was supposed to go to school that day. Oh yeah. I will say I appreciate that they always end up back at the uh, scrapyard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, normally I would kind of go through the, the show beats and kind of talk through those and we'll kind of get through that fast and kind of talk about the issues at hand that we started talking about. Uh, what this story deals with. We begin a year ago, and I'm assuming the previous episode of Hunting. So if we were looking at a linear timeline, and, and this is where it begins, that they go out to the club, and then he sees uh, Leon, and I'm assuming the next day is when the event happens, right? Is how I understood it. Is that how you guys understood it? Yeah. yeah. So in essence, Leon has seen the mysterious figure the day before Daniel's suicide, right? And so, oh, the tall so anyway, man, yeah, yeah. But no, owl. Or, no, he would have saw it that morning. He would have saw it that morning. Yes, because he was he was laying out the. He corner. was putting the feet out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yes. Got but, it. The night before, he was putting it in his truck, and so mm-hmm. that morning, he would have seen the tall man. Yeah. Okay. And so then he would have died at some point. We don't know when. He may have done it that night or the next day. Yeah, And so, you know, it begins a year ago. We see Moses and Miko, Miko riding by doing their rap thing. 
And to me, I always saw those guys as the chorus of the show in a way, kind of like the Greek chorus. And so then, you know, we see the guys walking and this time we see five people as opposed to four people. So we realize, oh shit, this is Daniel. So it's one year ago, he's still alive. And we see them uh, walk through Daniel's home first. And we see that, we hear that there's, sounds like domestic violence in his family. And so the kids say, hey, well, you know, come, come and hang with us. And they all have something else to do as opposed to be all together which kind of might have had an effect for Daniel or not. I don't know. And so only uh, Laura Dannon is able to hang with them. So that's when they go out and they try to go steal a car or whatever, break into a car, whatever they're doing. And they end up at the Hongi Comp, but that's later on in the episode. So we kind of get a sense of where uh, he is. And we also have, a, again, a mention of deer in the deer stew. And so there's a continual deer theme that happens throughout this episode. And I don't know if that is significant for anything or means anything. Did you guys catch any of that? Like there's a lot of deer talk. No, I i didn't catch on that. Maybe it's Sterling's yeah. clan. That's what I wondered. I was wondering, I was wondering maybe he's like deer clan or something. You know, way back in that same episode when they find that deer on the side of the road, is it episode two? <laughs> yep. Yeah, so we had that deer and then we had the deer lady and then we had the hunting of a deer. And now they're talking about deer stew. I can't remember if there's talking about deer in the first episode. And so I was wondering, like, if there's a significance, if there's a reason for that. Because some of us have stories about deer and, like, how deer is, like, like there's, and I don't know whose tribe it is, but the hunter who, who, uh, who sits out to kill a deer, but the deer says not to. And he, I think he sees it. He's out hunting and he sees a deer in the fire and it's a ghost deer. And it leads him to where all the other deer are. And I can't remember exactly what the story is. I heard this when I was a kid. So I was wondering, you know, if there was any kind of significance to that. I don't know. But deer, deer is talking about. <laughs> and then, um, and so, you know, we see the crazy Hollywood sign. And so we hear Hooray for Hollywood or whatever it was, the music was. And, and, and then we see it's like this really cheesy poster that's for some reason hanging in the DMV, which I've never seen like a California poster hanging in the DMV. And, and we see that an old Laura's, poster too. Yeah, an old Nike. I love that it was an old poster, like a retro poster, like you would see at a travel agency. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so we we learned that Laura's about to take her driver's test, and so uh, for her fourth time, right? Because four is a sacred number, and <laughs> and so then Bill Burr comes out as a uh, her former coach, and and Laura, we learned used to be a badass basketball player. But she dropped out and quit and sounded like she has like these anger issues and things like that. And so we get this, we get them finally get, we get to see an Indian car. I was watching it. My kid was on the uh, iPad. I said, look, look at your car. of trash from like fast food. I just throw over there. <laughs> so we started laughing. And then, of course, you know, we had to get the uh, rear view mirror duct tape to the, to the window and the windshield wipers don't work. And then uh, he said, do you have to duct tape the motor too? She's like, I got to duct tape the hood. <laughs> and, so Which made me, and that made me think of Goodnight Irene. You know, that's one of the opening scenes is oh, when yeah. pull up in the res car, pull up to IHS in the res car. It always makes me laugh. And so it's duct tape down? Oh, it's just, you know, it's a POS and <laughs> yeah. you can hear it a mile away. And yeah, it takes five minutes to turn off. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we we get to see this uh, this Indian car, and as we know, Indian cars like a, are a big thing in, in our communities. And like I, I'm sure everyone's at least driven one or rode in one. And it's always like where something's busted up, something's broke down. Sometimes you got to push start the car. Sometimes you know you you got duct tape. Uh, if you got you the gotta drive it low. in reverse the whole way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's funny to see that. And I was thinking about the duct tape hood. I was like, a lot of times I see people, they use the rope to tie, tie the hood down. Or they use those, like those stretchy ropes. Like, the, oh, yeah, yeah. The bungee like, cords. Bungee, bungee cords. cords, yeah. That holds on to the, on the sides. On the, on the sides, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I, was like I, don't, I don't recall anybody <laughs> duct taping it down, but <laughs> I'm sure that, that's the creek way. <laughs> <laughs> so they go out on this uh, driver's test. And to me, this, this was a really good acting once again. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've not really seen Bill Bourbon as a comedian. So to see him in this role was really like striking to me because it was really just him and her together just had this great chemistry of, of playing off each other that it felt real. And it's basically a two people episode. And so, you know, they discuss stuff and they talk about going to California where Bill Burr sees grandma as a nice person. She sees grandma as a mean person. And then we learned that he's connected to her mother. And then we have the, the, the funny parallel parking scene where yeah. she can't park and she starts breaking down crying. And I didn't understand. I mean, at first I thought she was just frustrated and upset that she couldn't do it. But on second viewing, my thought was that she was upset because this was, she needs that license to drive to California. And I, and I don't know if that's what you guys had thought, but, and so this is like her last chance to get that license and she's freaking out because she's not going to have a license to be able to drive to California. No, that's but, a good point. So, yeah. But did you see her face? She was faking crying. Oh, you think she was faking? Oh, she was I... totally faking. There's oh. a, which is why Devery's her face, her beautiful, beautiful acting was just full on display. No, she's she starts crying, and then as soon as Bill Burr gets out of the car, she makes this face like hey, and then moves over to the passenger seat and continues to fake cry but she's there are no tears but oh, she's totally God, faking it and okay. she's totally she's totally trying to get him into the driver's seat probably to kind of con him into getting getting her driver's passing her, yeah oh okay is that what you caught Angie? i didn't catch that at all but i think that's pretty genius and i wouldn't put it past her to do something oh. amazing like that with her scene yeah she's totally she's conned you she's conned you both She's I, know. I, gotta, I guess I gotta watch it again because yeah at first I thought she was like freaking out because you know this was her last chance to get that license and so you know so now watch her face right. her face cool, is cool, brilliant cool. all right I'll check that out and then you know the funny things where he tries to do it he fucks it up and then uh, you know and it's funny what cracked me up was this van that there's no cars on either side of the road but right. this car has and so the guy you know obviously the coach has anger issues too because he's you know yelling at this guy cursing at this guy and then he gets that phone call about this person that's at the motel that he learns about and we don't know who this person yeah it like turns into a heist movie or something yeah yeah and so and so he he takes the car and he has to pull out and pulls that all fucked up and then they finally drive off and so when they get to the motel and he sees that the person he's looking for is in, the, in there and he, he pulls out a gun and she's like, what the fuck, a gun? And he said, it's an open carry state. I can carry a gun. And so he runs in and she's texting her friend saying, 
hey, if I don't make it out, this is where I'm at. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what we girls have to do whenever we go out like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that probably helped made you think more that it was there was going to be some kind of assault. Is, is it, did that happen there, Candace? Did you think? Yeah, that? yeah. I was kind of like, okay, what is this? What is he doing? But I did get the feeling that she was a little bit more in control of her situation when she when I saw that she was like, <laughs> she made like a face after she got him <laughs> to get in the driver's seat, and I was like, okay, so she's got a plan of some kind. But yeah, I was still thinking like, oh my gosh, where is this man driving her to? We don't know a whole lot about this relationship yet, but then we see as the Yeah, story yeah. And so and so then it goes to the flashback to that year ago where they're trying to get into the car at the Hongi Song. They can't get in car, so they go to the Hongi Song and start watching this band. And and so you know, Daniel talks about his uh, granddad, I think, what right, was an Indian cowboy who played bass. And then they start having fun, they dance, and then it's seems like it's later on in the night and we see Dan, Daniel dancing alone trying to get Laura Dan to dance and she kind of seems uncomfortable and that's when he starts getting more manic right mm-hmm. going into this state and bumps into a guy and gets pissed off at him and in some other situation of a movie that probably would have been up into a bar fight but instead this is like a good old country boy he's like oh, hey watch out you know and he's like you fucking watch out fuck you you know whatever he says and so then he runs out the door she goes after him and he said he's going to go walk around because he can't go home. And that's when she says, all right, well, text me. That's where that scene ends. And now we're back in the present. We hear the gunshot and we see Bill Burr come running out, get in the car. And the tweaker comes out with a gunshot on his leg and shoots the back tail light. And so what we learn is that the person that the coach is going to see was his daughter, Ashley. And it turns out that she's like, you know, this fucked up person who's ended up you know, getting into drugs and he's talking about being a father and how he worked hard to raise this child and she ends up getting caught up in a bad group and started doing drugs and you know and so they're driving around looking for he's freaked out because he realizes he fucked up because he's not he may not have a job to get back to he's shot a tweaker in the leg and Lord Annan tries to play some music to sit you know help build up his mood what they decide to do is get the car fixed so they end up back at Burgle Cut that's where we get to see, uh, what's it, Kenny? What's his Kenny name? Boy. Kenny Boy, yeah. Kenny Boy and, and so, Ansel. So, you know, we get a few interactions with them. We see a text from Jackie, and Laura doesn't answer, but it leaves that open from our previous ep- couple of episodes where they were texting back and forth and where they met at the, at the store. And so there's something going on. We don't know what exactly it is still, but we they're conspiring for something. While they're waiting, the coach and Laura are playing basketball together. And that's when they talk more about Laura's mother. And we learned that there was a car wreck and it was a drunk driving accident. And he tells her, his mom named him a Chokogi. Chokichi. 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 Yeah, Chokichi. Uh, <laughs> it means great white warrior. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and, so, and so we'll talk about that in a minute. And so then we have the fl- another flashback to what happens the next day, or we assume is the next day where Laura's looking for Daniel and she finds him and he has hanged himself. And this scene was kind of reminiscent to Jojo Rabbit. And I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. saw Jojo Rabbit, but yeah. remember when the kid finds the, the feet yeah. and we just see the feet. Yeah. yeah. And so this is kind of like what I thought about when, when I saw the scene. I, thought, I wonder if that's kind of like a homage, homage. To homage that. to Taika maybe, maybe. Yeah. And so then, you know, we had this real touching moment where everyone's crying and Coach Dobson is feeling emotional and he actually puts his arm around her and holds her 
and being the father that he couldn't be, right, kind of thing yeah. is yeah. kind of what you're implied here is that he's the fa- trying to be the father to this child girl that he couldn't be to his own own daughter because he, he's trying to hold her and comfort her. And mm-hmm. then Kenny Boy comes and ruins it and says, are y'all yeah. crying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so he says that War Pony is done, which, I, which is, again, I'm assuming it's a shout out to Palo Highway. Sure. <laughs> and so this, that's a big funny moment where he says a lot of stuff that, you know, his crazy yeah, quotes. His, yeah, Red Cloud. And and so then she takes him home. I, and that I didn't understand why she didn't take him back to his work, because that's where his car is. But she takes him home. And it is told that she passes her driver's test so she'll have her license. And so she finally tells him that Chok- Chokaji, right? Yeah, Chokaji. Chokaji tells him what it really means. And she tells him it means toilet. And he's laughs. And he's like, oh, your mother was always teasing me like that. And so and that's kind of how it ends. And so that's a real quick rundown of what happened. One of the things I was going to talk about is like, you know, what was funny about the Chokaji scene is that moment is that I think everyone's done that to somebody at some point. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, I, and so I, think, I think this, to me, this was one of the stronger episodes. I liked it a lot. This one and probably like a Dear Lady episode was the one or my two of my favorite. And this one seems to be kind of like, it, you know, like, and I guess because it has a big moment in it, too. And it does have Daniel. And so we get a, get a sense of who Daniel was. And a part of me wanted to see why didn't, we should have had Daniel throughout the whole series so we could have his presence there in some way, as opposed to just talking about him. Because he doesn't show up, show up until these last three episodes, right? Two or three episodes. Yeah, but I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. I mean, we're uh-huh. starting out in the present time. And then his, I guess you could say his ghost shows up in the hunting episode when we start kind of peeling back the layers of his character. I, I mean, it's a limited series, so I don't know that they had enough time this season to really peel back those layers as much as we would like. Yeah. Yeah. And I think doesn't his ghost appear in the first episode towards the end doesn't bear see him. Or what was that? Do y'all remember? That was just a a shadowy figure under a okay when something happens and so he looks over and there's a somebody under the street light and then he looks back and then they're gone mm-hmm. but then didn't he say daniel or something yeah 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 and so yes i would have i mean you know it's monday morning producer but i would have liked to seen this build up happen early on it would be the same flashbacks but we could see it throughout the series i didn't have that emotional impact i would if i knew this person more early on is what i felt we only see that. him when he's in crisis in this season because, mm-hmm. you know, he's acting up when they go hunting. He's acting up at the bar. I think the only normal scene is with Leon when they're just talking. Yeah. But other, but the other scenes, we haven't seen anything that makes him as sympathetic. Is that what maybe what you're? Yeah, I think for? that's what it is. Because yeah. like we, we don't see him as a reservation dog, really, except for that one moment at the beginning of this episode. And with Laura Dannon, they have a scene together. I don't feel the connection they have there as much as I feel with co- her and coach, you know. And so I feel like if, if we could have another moment 
with his those that group because we know that group and we love that group and we know they love him but I don't feel the love they have for him I just feel that he's a character who died that has springboarded the reason for going to California well, honestly, when I when we were doing the pilot, he wasn't there. I didn't expect to even see him in the first mm-hmm. season at all. I thought it was just a springboard mm-hmm. for them planning to leave. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that we would get to see him as a character. And, and again, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm a minority of that probably. I mean, I mean, because the reality is, like you said, there's a high prevalence of suicide. So that emotion of suicide will probably trigger those people who are going to feel that anyway you know it's hard to do that you know it's hard to hard to play those emotions in in 30 minutes especially well I'm kind of wondering though if what it seems to me is since you know we're seeing Daniel's death through Alora's eyes and experience uh, I think she was chosen very specifically because um, I think maybe we're meant to experience this or we're meant to follow Alora, of course, on this emotional journey of hers, uh, because throughout the throughout the whole series, we care for Alora. You know, um, we care that about the relationships between her and the crew and that she's this co-leader and she's has the one who seems to want to be who want to who wants to leave for California the most and to actually truly want it genuinely. And so I'm wondering if maybe I would definitely want to watch your take on it, Tully. But I do think maybe uh, the the showmakers or the the writers were counting on like Alora's, you know, she's got that that really tough exterior, like like Willie Jack, and then we're just seeing it torn away. And I think that that's maybe, or maybe the showrunners were hoping that that's we fully experience that impact along with Alora, because she is like another strong Native woman character that we're learned to care about. And, and, and again, it's like, you know, it, there's more one way to, to do it and there's no wrong way because it's, it's art, right? So it's always going to be subjective and subjective and right. how someone's going to do it. You know, you have talented people who are working on this. So I'm like, it was well-written episodes. So I can't say, oh, it's wrong. It's terrible. It's fucked up because it's still a great episode and it's still a great story. I guess the thing is, I just would like to have seen more and get to know more of Daniel as opposed to just him being talked about. Again, and it's Western thinking is how I'm viewing it too. It's, you know, I'm calling out of mind is trying to <laughs> <laughs> look at an Indian show. <laughs> so yeah, so like uh, the show don't tell kind of concept. And so we're ha- having a lot of tale about Daniel at the beginning. And we're just now being shown. And, I was, and, and it might be because I probably do want to care, right? I do want to see more because he too is a strong character. He too has like layers because... Like I said, there's this possibility of a mental illness that's going on. And, yeah. I would, and even with his family dynamic, that would be something to see more of. And so maybe, again, episode or season two, maybe we'll get, yeah. I mean, he too was a good actor. <laughs> you know, and so there's yeah. so many reasons why we want to see more Daniel too. Well, and yeah. I don't know if this is a, a trend in general, but I've noticed that a lot of these limited series, they introduce the ensemble and they spend, you know, a certain amount of time or one episode on each character to kind of give you more of their story and what motivates them. And so we've, we've had that with pilot was all of them. And then we moved closer into bear and then closer into cheese and closer into Willie Jack and this is closer into Laura Dannon yeah I, I think that supports your we're seeing all of this action through her eyes in this episode and it's important too because she's the one who is connected at the time of his death I mean it's a different effect than you know knowing your friends did than being the one who walks in and finding your friend dead you know mm-hmm. and so I think it's important that this is her storyline of seeing that 
And the other thing too is what I had talked about earlier part portions of these episode of this, these episodes is that I feel like I wasn't sure what what how I'm supposed to view these shows. Is is it a sitcom where each episode is individual and I just enjoy it as the sitcom, or is it a long form story as more modern television is the uh, soap opera format? And it's kind of a mixture of both. But the main thing is, is why I've come to the conclusion is it's an anthology show. Mm. And the main character oh, yeah. is the reservation. It's not the the characters themselves, the reservation dogs themselves, but it's the reservation dogs are the pivot or the hub of the actual place because we're meeting people and we're having their storyline in parallel through the eyes of characters so like so like bears episode is which which one was that one was that the one with the brownie uncle brownie brownie uncle brownie is is seen uncle brownie's story as opposed to being just bear story it's also bear story in a way but it's more uncle brownie's story well and cheese cheese yeah has that shares the story with an elder also Yeah. yeah And so, and so to get me in that mindset, okay, I'm watching an anthology show with a like really loose overall storyline. Because I can see that. The big we're looking at Alora with her like a pseudo dad or, mm-hmm. or um, what's the word I'm thinking of for her mom? Yeah. A surrogate or a surrogate. surrogate. And so let's go ahead and uh, get to talking about some of the big issues that happened here. And so what I uh, got off of this article was that the Center for Disease Control Prevention, the National Center for Health Statistics, says that among Native Americans, 40% of people who die by suicide are between the ages of 15 and 24. And Native adults aged 18 to 24 experience the highest rates of suicide, higher than any other racial or ethnic group. And this is that the CDC has since declared that the disproportionately high rates of depression, mental illness, and suicide among tribal youth is a crisis. And so this was from an article in Vulture who were talking about this episode and they, you know, they talked about like the, the impact of historical trauma and colonialism upon our, our peoples and how that plays into a lot of this drunk alcoholism, drug use and suicide. I had never heard about generational trauma until what a few years ago and then when I started reading up about it and started tracing back through my birth mother and all of that stuff and I I was like oh my gosh I can totally see how that trauma has been passed down genetically and so you know the fact that we are the survivors of the survivors means that we it flows deep within us And the fact that we know we're different because of the color of our skin and the languages that we speak and that we've survived, but we haven't really thrived yet. And it's, Mm. it's all of that institutional racism. That's just really taking its toll on our youth and it's heartbreaking. And I, I mean, I've never felt it so personally until just recently and going back and writing up my own story and researching my own birth family. And that's, that's really what drove it home is that, you know, my, my mother was sent from very Northwest tip of Alaska to the middle of Kansas to have me alone surrounded by nuns. I mean, oh my gosh, no wonder I have this fear of abandonment and all of these other things that I've been unpacking because I was born alone and abandoned, no matter that my parents love me. I mean, they love me a lot. (laughs) 
but there was that trauma that she passed on to me and I've passed on to my daughter. And so, you know, how do we break that cycle? How do we move past that? Especially reaching 18 to 24 year olds, because when you're 18 to 24, you think, you know, the whole world, which is what we're seeing with the reservation dogs. They know what's going on. They know that things are better in California. They yeah, don't they don't see like home is where your people are that love you. Yeah, and that too. And, and, and the idea, you know, that, you know, we're fed our stories of this, what do they call it, like this perception of Indians being beat down. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys watched the Carlisle Indian School documentary that was on the other night. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it again reiterates, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all the shitty things that started with U.S. government saying how fucked up and savages we were how despicably we were and how they how every child that went to carlisle had to have their kerosene because they just assumed every child had lice they didn't check to see if every child had lice they just assumed they did and washed their hair and then cut off their hair when that was a taboo subject within the culture and then within the culture of language the general pratt i believe who said that you know if we take away the language, we take away the culture because their culture is connected through their language. And so that is more recent history, you know, within the past 200 years, maybe 100 years, probably even. And so, of course, we're going to have these impact. It's, it's, it's just like, you know, any kind of abusive situation as we're finding also genetically passed down to us. So like, you know, as, as their research is finding that, you know, grandmother had this stress trauma, you are more likely going to be carrying that stress trauma through the genetics. And again, that's the thing that our Native people were talking about way back then, you know, the seven seven generations, you know, whatever happens to us happens to our generations after that. So it's just kind of this kind of like complicated thing of how it works. And then the storyline that we always hear about Indians is, you know, we're impoverished people. The reservation is like a third world nation. There's a lot of alcohol and it's always this negative storytelling and, and like even like in this historical trauma storyline we're talking about this is why we beat the fuck out of our spouses this is why we beat the fuck out of our kids is because of blah 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 and even that term historical trauma people are trying to resist because it's, it's, it's focusing on trauma whereas the thing you were talking about like the survival ship is that you're saying maybe we should talk about historical survivors, we're historical survivors, not victims of historical trauma, but we have, as a group of peoples who have been beat the fuck out of, we're going past that because we are still here, we're still alive, and we're moving forward, and it may be a slow progress because, you know, when you beat somebody down, it's hard for them to get back up, and a lot of times we're not being helped back up, we're just, you know, they still got their foot on our neck, you know, like with, with you know, with Stit here, you know, Who's trying to resist anything that natives are doing? Mm, and well, so, and every every time we you know make a goal, they move the goalposts or yep. try to. Yeah, yeah, and then and and then you have a certain group of people who say that, you know, this is something that we're making up. It's it's a liberal idea that's not real. You know, <laughs> the idea of like you know white supremacy, 
and uh, this impact that, that we talked about the intergenerational trauma. Well, I think it's unique. It's a unique situation for the five tribes that were actually removed from their homeland. Personally, this is my theory that being forced to, re- to walk halfway across a continent has really delayed the development of this kind of storytelling in the Oklahoma tribes, which is, I, I think, one of the most important things to remember about this series is that it's it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing that's been created out of Oklahoma that hasn't been celebrated a whole lot within the state of Oklahoma, but it's definitely worth it because it is telling the story of people happy in their place, people that are thriving in their communities. You look at the, you know, Uncle Brownie, you look at uh, Big, Big, you look at, yeah, you know, they're happy in their place. Mm-hmm. And they're being supportive of their community. I mean, the next episode shows how interconnected everything is. And I think it's just remarkable that this came out of Oklahoma, but it's also, you know, 10 or 20 years behind some of the other creators in other parts of the world, if that makes sense. Well, too, in Canada, it's more of a, a socialist leading government. So <laughs> they have funding too. They do. Uh, yeah. And, and I said, yeah, they do have funding. Sure. As opposed to we're more not very friendly towards the arts, you know. You know, the fact that there's these stories out here, but they haven't really been told. How many stories were lost in the removal? Mm-hmm. How many stories will we never know? Because your family lost so many people walking halfway across the continent. Yeah, and, so- and, and internally we carrying that loss without we may not even realize anyway what, what about you Candace what were your thoughts and feelings so many thoughts and feelings of with this because I, I get so up and I get so down with this episode because part of it is so the coach kind of reminds me of actually of my driver's ed teacher my driver's ed teacher was kind of a small man like Bill Burr when I say small I don't mean like he's tiny or anything I just mean like he was um we'll say he had more of a trim build I remember like it was kind of traumatic. I, I don't want to use that word lightly, but I remember like being like kind of terrified of him because he had such a temper and he would curl up in the seat and the pat in the driver's seat. And uh, he would have the sun, his sunglasses on during the day. And it wasn't until after I graduated years later that I finally realized that that Chokichi POS was hung over <laughs> during my driver's lesson. You know who taught me how to parallel park like a beast? My dad. Because that's what my native dad does. I'm glad that, I know I'm taking a little bit of a different term, but I'm glad that that relationship with the coach was like a healthier relationship for Alora. Because, um, you know, I just kind of thought, oh, this this dude, oh, I hated driver's ed. Uh, my mind was hung over and I didn't even realize it. <laughs> You know, and I thought, oh, he's going to be another like, you know, bum, horrible teacher person. So. (laughs) (laughs) Teacher person. Yeah. Teacher person. I love one of my favorite jokes in the, in the show. I'm going to, I'm going to pivot towards a little bit. I know we're talking about the issues, the heavier issues, but I want to talk about the joke that I'm glad that they ended with was that chokachi. That's probably one of the first words, you know, when we're talking about language loss and all that, I, I find it. I think it's just something within our native communities that we need to laugh because of all this, because of all of our inherited generation, intergenerational trauma. I love that one of the first 
Muskogee words I learned is also like one of the first Cherokee words you learn, which is look, you learn how to insult each other or you learn the, the bad words so you can laugh at each other. <laughs> and that's one of the first Muskogee words I learned was chokachi from being around all these really funny Muskogee ladies who just love to just love to shoot the breeze and crack up. Like the minute I heard like what his nickname was, I just started busting out laughing, you know, and uh, I, I thought it was a very nice touch. You now we got a long ways to go uh, in healing and moving forward with our with our intergenerational trauma. But I like to think maybe it starts with it's going to sound really cheesy, but maybe it does start with being able to laugh, being able to humanize our struggles and humanize ourselves, being able to see ourselves as humans. That is something that I really appreciate about the show is that, yeah, we're, we're looking and we're, we're examining some of these stereotypes and I've kind of come to view as like suicide amongst the youth, like as kind of a, a stereotype because I've seen it done through non-native lenses and non-native eyes. And I hate it. Oh, I hate it whenever I see it like on film or television. I hate it when, uh, not when our trauma is in the hands of these non-native writers and sometimes non-native actors who are hired to play these native roles and they're, they're hired to portray assault or suicide. There's no, I think there's no, uh, like there's no counterbalance to it. And it just feels like, like, I think what you said, Tali, it, it just feels like we get fed like our own trauma again. And sometimes by the people who inflicted that in the first place. And so it's hard to move past some of these things. And it's really, it is, it's really hard to move past some of these things and really to see ourselves as humanized. And I think that this episode, you know, we're looking at something very serious and um, it deals with this heavy subject matter, but it deals with it, I think, in a way that is compassionate. Like I was reading that for Devery Jacobs. I don't know what your friend at Suicide Prevention uh, Center said, but I had read that uh, to, for Devery Jacobs, this scene, and only time will tell how she'll be able to move forward from being able to leave this scene behind her, that it was acting. She was in a safe, a safe space, hopefully for her to be able to act. I know that they said that sh- they tried to make sure that she had the support that she needed to do what she needed to do during that scene. You know, the Uh, They wanted to make sure that she could see the actor who plays Daniel, you know, before and after that scene. I know she, I think she said that she always had to hug him just to make sure that he was there, but you know, they, they tried to, I know that they, they tried to make sure that she was supported as much as she could be while allowing her to, to do what she needed to, what the writers were asking her to do during that scene. And um, I hope that as that actress moves forward, I hope that she will, I hope that she'll be able to say like, you know, that's the way to kind of when we when we talk about and film uh, these topics and subjects, I hope that that's a way that she I hope she looks back on it as a way that she was well taken care of and that she was able to do what she needed to do in a way that you know didn't cost any lasting harm and that she felt safe. I hope I hope she felt safe, you know, playing that scene and the actor playing Daniel, too. I mean, because that's it's a big thing for his character as well. I, I yeah, think I mean, she did an amazing job. Yeah, I mean, that whole episode is every top of her game. Yeah. I don't know if you wanted to talk about it, uh, Angela, but you were talking about your your friend reaching out to you about how they wish they had cut a certain scene. Yeah, it was the feet hanging that she reached out to me about that she wished that that part had, you know, if if she had just, Laura Dana had just walked in the door and had the reaction and seen what she saw, then they didn't need that extra feet hanging. And like I said, I, I certainly don't work in that area, but 
she was like, oh, yeah, they should have talked to somebody in the profession before they decided to make that call to show that. Because I don't know, I've never been in the writer's room. I don't know if they vet, especially nowadays, you know, because there's intimacy Mm -hmm. coaches now. So I don't know if there's something, somebody that watches out for that and reaches out to double check. I mean, I would assume the producer would. Yeah, it's complicated. I mean, you know, it is triggering for those who, like you said, who either experience it or know of it. It's a real thing. And, and, you know, I guess maybe the trigger warning at the beginning should have been more detailed on what exactly we're going to see or something. You know, who knows? It, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to say what you need or don't need because you do need an emotional impact. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it, and we're not seeing him blue in the face hanging with a rope around his neck either. So, Well, I I did find her message. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, sure. As a suicide prevention professional, I want to reach out. Showing the feet dangling was unsafe. Research shows that it can lead to more attempts in populations who identify with the character. And that's the last thing we need in Indian country. I want to be helpful, but not bossy, but I would really love for them to re-edit that scene. Well, that's something to think about. She's a professional. And that is... It's always a worry, and you're always going to have the discussion of art versus these kind of things. So I think it could work without the feed. That was my takeaway from, because I hadn't watched it when she messaged me. Mm-hmm. And so I remember watching it thinking, yeah, they, it still would have been as powerful, I think. Yeah. Yeah, if we had just seen Alora just break down. like Because like- we already know. I mean, it's already been set up. Yeah. yeah. And this is the this is the kind of show too that kind of likes to lean into the mystery and doesn't always have to explain things anyway. So I think that it could have worked. It could have worked that way. I'd be interested to see that cut of the episode. Yeah. I wouldn't even try to argue that. So <laughs> Yeah, because I'm way, way out of my way out of my league there. I don't know anything about suicide prevention or me either. Or the what the what the what the stats are. Oh, as far as what's helpful and what's not. I feel like it's nice to give people a phone number to call, but it would also be nice to give the rest of us like a list of how to be there how for to, someone. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would be helpful. Instead you know? of giving bad advice, like just cheer up, which is not yeah, helpful. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that's not helpful. Well, I, I do think like, um, according to at least a study of a uh, Gray's Anatomy, and it was actually done with a student here at OSU who uh, had, uh, they had a similar episode. I think it was a suicide episode too. I, I don't watch Grey's Anatomy, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember. when Meredith jumped into the water. And so the student was wanting to see, you know, what that impact would be on social media if some people would go further into learning more about it. And as I recall, it, it did actually have viewers go more into learning about these situations and things like that and to understand and you know they check the like the the trends of that that moment right at that time that after the show aired with that study it does work it shows that it does work and you know we used to have those after school specials you know at the end they always talk about you know to to learn more go to da, 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 da. and i guess that's what they don't have here so you just want an after school special angela <laughs> <laughs> After school special, and to learn more, go to your local library and read up. <laughs> so, random Oklahoma film trivia: They did shoot an after-school special here in Oklahoma about—I want to say it was about suicide, death by suicide. Uh-huh. 
in, in, it was probably back in the seventies because I remember some, a friend of mine saying, yeah, they came back and they had to tie green leaves on all the trees and spray the grass green to do yeah. some pickup scenes. And I was like, in Oklahoma, that's the, they're shooting a movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much it, right? That's all we need to really go on about. I guess that does it with our discussion of Reservation Dogs, episode seven, I think it was. And it was called, I forgot what it was called. California uh, Dreaming. California Dreaming on such a whatever day, such a winter's day. Yes. All right, little mamas and papas right there. That's right. All right. So um, do you guys, anything more you guys want to discuss? Can, Candace, do you have any any other final words or thoughts or feelings or concerns that you'd like to, to oh. give to us? Words of wisdom? <laughs> I wish I had more, more wise words, except for just uh, take care of yourself as they say, as it's popular to say on social media. And um, I do really mean it though. Take care of yourself when you're watching this episode, when we think about this episode, because it's quite clear that Daniel's character is kind of crying out for help, but his friends aren't able to help him. And even Alora in the end is not able to help him. Who knows why? Uh, who knows the real reasons why? Because all of them, all of the res dogs have issues, you know, and who knows what is that one issue that, just makes you think, well, it's not worth it to be here anymore. Just um, uh, take care of yourself, uh, take care of your mind, your bodies, you know, eat something that's that makes you happy. If you need help, please reach out. Please reach out. Please just take care of yourself. I think it's important. It's something that I've learned through dealing with my depression and anxiety is that things are bigger in your head And that when you finally say them out loud, they shrink in size and in power. So I think that it's important to find somebody that you trust. And if you are feeling all of the feelings, just know that if you can say them out loud and give them context and resize them, then that will help a lot. And, you know, if you have to use that number to call just to say it out loud, then please do. Everybody has different struggles and we all need to be aware of that and need to be cognitive of how we try to interact with people and how we see people. And yeah. And if somebody is. comes at you and says that they want to talk, then, you know, we, ha- we have a tendency to dismiss it. Oh, you're fine. But mm-hmm. it's important to be a good listener too. And just accept people as they are. Absolutely. Yeah. It, gets it, better. Gets better. <laughs> it gets better. It gets better. So once again, if you, you or someone, you know, is struggling during crisis, help is available. Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifelines at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Take action for yourself and be there for others. I believe that is it. So we'll catch you next time. Same Indigenous time, same Indigenous channel. Keep it real, you real Indigenous peoples.